Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the True Wealth Podcast, where we discuss the well-being of a Christian business owner and the different facets of growing a business, all from a Christian perspective. Welcome to the True Wealth Podcast. I am your host, Shewadeyemi. Thank you very much for joining us once again. Welcome to the True Wealth Podcast. I am your host, Shewadeyemi. Thank you very much for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about effectively communicating your value to your customers. And on today's show, we have Ian Cubitt. Now, many business owners enjoy running successful businesses, but struggle when it comes to transitioning the business, especially the complex emotions, relationships, and money. Ian has been a chartered professional accountant for about 15 years, and he doesn't do any tax returns or financial statements. Ian's work is focused on 100% on coaching business owners through the financial tension and relationship tension as authority changes and ownership changes in business. Ian has been operating his own business for the past five years and has exclusively used the value pricing approach with his customers. So the value pricing approach is, um, Ian and I had a conversation right before this recording, which we're going to talk about um, in a little bit. But before we go into all of that, Ian, how are you doing today? Welcome to the show. I'm rocking the world. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Not a problem. So tell us a little about yourself. Um, I know we read your bio, but I, I want to. We want to know a little more about you. Sure. Uh, well, I've um, I grew up on a farm, about a couple hours north of Toronto, and I studied business in university. I I always thought, oh, I'd love to be a dairy farmer, but I never, I never pursued that, and and partly because I assumed um, that I would that I and my family didn't have enough money to get into that business, and mm. I never actually had a conversation with my parents about that. I just made the assumption. And then I took action based on what I assumed was true, um, which I think a lot of people do. So, mm-hmm. um, so study business and university. I always thought I'd, uh, you know, I was really intrigued by some of the the topics I studied right after school. I got my CA designation, chartered accounting designation. Um, worked for a bunch of years with PricewaterhouseCoopers and BDO uh, in Toronto and in Halifax and Mount Forest, which is a small town near where I live now. And Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I run a little tiny garlic business on the side. We grow a few thousand pounds of garlic every uh, every season. So that's pretty interesting. You got to teach me how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We uh, I I love doing the business I'm doing. I'm I'm enjoying my work more than I've ever enjoyed it. Loving it more than I've ever loved it. Uh, My customers are getting more value than they've ever gotten, and I'm really pleased with. with the financial results for my own business. So That's it's a, amazing. It's an amazing combination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So before we get into the value pricing approach, um, which we talked about, you mentioned something about four principles. Now, before going into that, one of the things like in demonstrating your value, it's not so much trying to earn a bigger paycheck, but it's really making sure that your customers are getting the value from you that they're paying for. Yeah, so the heart of value pricing is delivering value. And and more Mm -hmm. specifically, the heart of value pricing is for the customer to receive amazing value. And there's a difference, like there's a mindset difference between the value that I deliver 
and the value that the customer receives. One is focused on me, the value I deliver. The other one is focused on the customer, the value the customer receives. So clearly there's a correlation between the value I deliver and the value the customer receives. But the, 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 the focus and the mindset and the words that I use can shift how I actually communicate with a customer to focus on what they're going to benefit from working together with me rather than, you know, being full of myself and talking about how the value I'm going to deliver. People kind of get tired of hearing about how somebody else is amazing and they really like hearing how they're going to be able to achieve the success that they're hoping to achieve. Right. I, I think it's important to express that underlying principle. This is not about trying to just jack up your income or jack up my income. This is about serving a customer in such a way that they're getting amazing value. And it connects to the underlying purpose of business that I believe is true. And I don't know where I came up. I didn't come up with this. I read it somewhere. And it said, the purpose of business is not to earn a profit. The purpose of business is to provide a service or a product that's so valuable that somebody's willing to pay me a profit in order to receive it. Hmm. I like that. Okay, sorry, can you say that again? <laughs> yeah, so so the purpose of a business is to provide a service or a product that is so valuable that somebody is willing to pay me a profit in order to receive it. Well, that makes sense because as business owners, sometimes, I mean, at different times I've struggled with how do I communicate my value? How do I make sure that uh, I'm giving the customer a whole lot more than they're paying for? Um, and, and, and that goes to making sure there is a profitable service or product that the customer is getting. Right. And, and when we provide a profitable service to our customers, it's not always, um, you know, is it always worth $50 an hour or is it always worth $400 an hour? Like the value that we provide in a given period of time can be vastly different from the previous hour. It can be vastly different than the next hour. So we're going to get into that in one of the one of the principles later on. Soon. Okay, so let's go into what what are the principles when it comes to uh, the value. Uh, tell us what the value pricing approach is, um, because for some that might just be like, how do like what what is the value pricing approach and what are the principles to it? Yeah, so the value pricing approach is is setting the price based on the value that I'm going to be delivering to the customer. And so if I, if I, let's say I prepare a financial plan for you right? and that would presumably you would receive some value from me preparing a financial plan for you. Probably not much value because you already have one because you can create it yourself, but just, mm -hmm. just bear with me for the example. I can create a financial plan for you and that could be really valuable for you. If I created a financial plan for somebody with vastly less resources than you, it might be worth less to them. That's right. Because there's just less complexity. There's there's less. Um, it has less impact in their life and less benefit mm -hmm. in their life. Um, so it's not that you can charge the person with higher wealth more because they have higher wealth. It's that you can charge a different price depending on the value that you're providing to that person. And the value that you're providing to that person could be very different based on the complexity of the situation. So if somebody has $10 million of value, they, their, their situation could be much more complex than somebody who has $100,000. So it's not, it's not me charging more because they have more money. It's charging based on the value that that person is going to receive. So it sounds to me more like 
what I am getting from a financial, what I will get from a financial plan would be different for what somebody else would get from a financial plan, depending on where they are in life, their complexity. And so, and so even though it's, they're both financial plans, or in this case, let's pick a different product, even though it's the same product, the value of that product is different to each person because based on, I guess, the need of the perceived need, because sometimes I know that as, as business owners, there is a, there's a perceived value that we think we're given, but what the client is receiving is often different because it depends on, I guess, how much more worth they place on the product or the service you're delivering. Sure. I mean, I've coached people in, in value pricing and they're like a house cleaning business. So they go into people's homes and clean their homes and, or parts of their homes and that's their business. And, you know, in the past, they've just charged a per hour rate, whether it's $25 an mm-hmm. hour or $35 an hour, whatever that per hour rate mm-hmm. is. And it is pretty hard to, like, they're not doing all the work themselves. They have some team who's doing a bunch of the work. Right. And so if they're if they're charging $25 an hour and they're paying $20 to their team member, it's pretty hard to leverage that, pretty hard to actually make any that's money right. at that. It's kind of money comes in, money comes in, money goes out. There's really not a whole lot left at the end of the day. And so if... If we assume that every hour is worth $25, then we might as well just keep going with that approach. If we if we assume that the value the customer receives might be different than a per hour rate, then we can charge them based on the value that they're receiving, which could which always includes much more tailored services for uh, for the customer. Talking about value pricing, what are the principles? You mentioned there are four of them. Yeah, there's four principles in value pricing. The first one is I need a process of understanding my potential customers' needs and desires, and that will help me to deliver more value. And if I'm delivering more value, that will help me to be able to increase the price. Um, so some of the some of the underlying pieces of that is, you know, this forms the basis of my proposal. Mm-hmm. And if I don't understand what my customers' needs and desires are, then then likely I'm doing one of two things. I'm assuming what their needs and desires are mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm helping them to achieve my assumption of what their needs and desires are. Or or even worse, I'm I'm using my needs and desires and helping them to achieve what I think I would want if I were them. And this might be a newsflash. It, I'm not any of my customers. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's like <laughs> so if I don't ask them specifically, if I don't have a process to specifically understand their needs and their desires, then I'm missing out on delivering the value that I otherwise could deliver to them. And most of the time, most of the time, the needs are obvious. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't, I know that you need to file a tax return every year. Right. I mean, I don't even need, I don't even need to ask you that. That's right. You know, but your, your desires are different. And, and we need to have a conversation and a process to understand both the needs and the desires. And, you know, if I understand the needs and desires, it unlocks the value that I can provide to the customer and it avoids assumptions about their needs and desires, like I said. And it's the only way, having that process to understand the customer's needs and desires is the only way for, tr- for me to truly meet my customer's needs and desires. I can't meet them if I don't know what they are. So is there a, so depending on the business um, the client is in, is there a, does the process remain the same regardless of the business, regardless of the product or the service that I'm offering? 
I'd say there are there would be slight changes depending mm-hmm. on the product or the service that you're offering. But there would be like I I provide a, a coaching business for people in in transition in their business when ownership is changing, when authority is changing. So clearly, I have a lot of questions about. Um, their relationships, about their financial situation, about their business, the history, what their growth plans are, those sorts of things, what they anticipate coming in the future. Mm -hmm. Whereas if, if let's say I'm a, I'm a a building contractor, um, I might not ask them what their first memory of money was before the age of 12. Sounds, yep. I might, I might ask different questions. Mm -hmm. Like, have you, have you built a home before? You know, what are you planning on using each of these rooms for as I design your home? Mm -hmm. Those types of questions would be relevant when I'm in that industry, but still it's, it's focusing on the needs and desires of the, of the potential customer. It's focusing on extracting and being clear what their needs are. Cause sometimes, like you said, we assume uh, what their needs are, or we, 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 we think we know, because if we were in a sh- in their shoes, this is, these are the things we would want or desire, but there has to be a clearly defined process for extracting what their needs and desires are, because then, um, it's better on you're better able to understand that and I guess price your 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 services appropriately. Yeah. So what you just said is an is a great way of saying um, what we were talking about earlier, where there's a difference between the value that I deliver mm-hmm. and the value that the customer receives, because I can feel like I'm delivering amazing value based on the the needs and desires I assume they have, right. and they could feel like I'm not delivering value. Mm-hmm. Like I'm actually neglecting them and not paying attention to their needs and desires. So it could actually be a negative experience that they're receiving. And I think I'm a hero delivering amazing value mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I'm not connecting my service with their with needs, the needs and desires. Yep. That makes sense. It's one of the reasons why I've, I personally haven't been a fan of the hourly pricing model because, um, if, if I've been doing something for a while, I've learned how to do it. Uh, there's actually this saying that, you, you it takes what ten years or ten thousand hours to perfect a skill, and so if it takes me ten minutes to perfect a skill, sorry, if it takes me ten minutes to perform that skill, it actually took me ten hours to learn how to perform that skill in ten minutes. But I cannot go and charge based on the ten minutes of of work that I did because then that does not properly compensate me for the services I'm offering. Plus that doesn't reflect the value that I'm delivering to the customer. If I'm just limited to the hourly pricing. Right. Well, I spent over a decade of my career um, every day documenting 0.1 of an hour to this customer and 0.6 of an hour to that customer and 0.3 of an hour to admin. And like my entire day had to be chunked up into like there was Point one of an hour, to, like mm-hmm. to, my entire day had to go somewhere in my time tracking, and I can distinctly remember one customer where I came up with an idea at home. So there's the other question: Okay, does that count? Like, can you count hours that you worked at home that you weren't even at the office? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a totally separate conversation. I came up with an idea when I was at home, saved them over a million dollars. I came up with the idea. In, in an almost like an instant. Right. And I, I probably spent an hour just verifying that the idea could technically be possible. That's right. Save them a million dollars. So what's that worth? It, like at that time, my hourly charge rate was $270 an hour. So, okay, so let's exaggerate. Let's say the, the, the idea itself took me an hour mm-hmm. and figuring out the idea to make sure that it could work took me another hour. So what, is that worth $540 to them? 
or is that worth maybe something between five hundred and forty dollars and a million dollars? Obviously, worth a lot more. I'd say, so, so that 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 that. So, if we look at value pricing, we say. If I just charge by the hour, I'm leaving money on the table. I, I benefited the customer a million dollars. And if I take $540 of that million dollars, I'm not capturing my share of the value. That's correct. You're actually like devaluing what you bring both, to the table. But both of us are profiting from that transaction. My firm's profiting $540. They're profiting $999,460, or whatever the math adds up yeah. to. So it, it's just a disproportionate sharing of the value and I'm not capturing my share. So with value pricing, there's a much more um, respectful sharing of the value that I'm creating, the value that they're receiving. That perfectly so, makes sense. Can, what do you think? Principle number two? Yep. Go for it. Okay. Pr principle number two is if I'm delivering higher value, if the customer's receiving higher value, then, then there's a capacity for the price to be higher doesn't mean I have to charge higher price, but if I'm, if I'm, if my customer's receiving higher value, there's a possibility for me to charge a higher price. So like we talked about, every hour is not necessarily providing equal value to a customer. And, um, if I'm providing higher value, I can communicate higher value. I can charge higher prices and satisfying a want or a desire is usually higher value to the customer than meeting a need. Hmm, that's interesting. Like me, yeah. me, me, me meeting your need. Let's say, I, like, I don't prepare anybody's tax return except my own and my wife's tax return. Um, let's say I prepared your tax return. You have to do it anyway. Like, it's not something you really want. It's not something you desire. You'd rather not do it, actually. Um, but you ha you have to do it. So if I meet something that you have to do, that's different than me. You know, my grandpa. Um, didn't even graduate grade six. So for him, if somebody come to him and say, I'm going to put a plan together to help your children be able to go to college, that would have been something that was really that emotionally make, appealing to him. Yeah, that would have that, been that a That was lot a desire that he has, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to prepare your tax return or I'm going to help your kids be able to go to college and have a future, open up a pathway to a future that you never had. Now we're talking that I'm just giving an example of the difference between a need and, and a, a desire. Right. Yeah. And, and I can so see often we feel no, no, sorry. I, I can see you go ahead, Sean. I can see how when you fulfill a desire is worth more because a need is a need, and the need has to be fulfilled in one way, shape, or form, whether that's through you or through somebody else. And so going back to your tax analogy, is you do your my taxes for me, great, that's nice. But you do my taxes for me and you save me a whole boatload of money through doing my taxes that somebody else may not have done. I want to. I want to. I want to save more in taxes. I want to have more for my future. I want to have more to go back to the causes and things I'm passionate about. Those are wants, and because of the value you delivered for my wants, then you typically or technically can charge a higher price for that. Right. So I just reviewed somebody's tax return, and uh, I noticed that the accountant did everything correctly. And there was an opportunity that they did not take advantage of that was a, like, this is 100% legal, Sean, 100% legal. I noticed that they didn't, um, they didn't do something that they could have done. Um, and, and I talked with my customer and, and their accountant and he said, oh, you know what, with COVID and everything, it, it, it was just an oversight. Mm. 
I mean, oversight, oversights happen. They didn't do anything wrong, but the customer is so worried about 2020 and they didn't realize that because of how 2019 taxes were filed, it really impacted 2020. Right. And it made that situation far more stressful for them. So even within preparing a tax return, there can be some education happening saying, okay, you know, Sean, like we didn't need your donations this year to claim the donation credit. So next year you get to claim extra, don- you basically get to claim two years worth of donation credits on your tax return because we get to carry those forward for seven years or I know uh, we get to carry those forward for five right. years. So just educating the customer about the value and the planning that has taken place. There's even if it's just simply preparing a tax return, there's an opportunity to explain to the customer the value that they've received through that service. Wow. That's interesting. So uh, another, uh, another principle within higher value and higher price um, correlated is that often we feel we can only charge for tangible items like a tax return, like a financial plan, like a will review, like, you know, paving my driveway, like putting a new muffler on my vehicle, all those sorts of things are tangible. Mm-hmm. And we often either assume that we can't charge for the, for the non-tangible items, or we assume that it'd be, that'd be a difficult conversation. So here's some intangible things. What about relationship vitality? What if by, you know, doing whatever service one of your listeners provides, it helps to have relationship vitality between the person and their partner or their spouse. You know, Mm -hmm. what about availability? If I say, look, I'm going to be, you know, I say to my customers, you have unlimited phone and email access to me. Now I'm not going to be on call like 24 seven. It's during business hours and everybody knows I have other customers, but if they call me, I'm not recording a 0.2 of an hour. You know, Shannon just called me and I got it, you know, that, going to add that up at the end of the year, charge them for it. That's right. It's that availability is, if for some customers, is very valuable for them. What about peace of mind? You know, peace of mind, mm-hmm. knowing that I've arranged my financial affairs so that when I pass away, my loved ones will be taken care of in a way that I am proud of. Mm-hmm. That's not tangible. That's, that's right. That's, that's emotional. That's a feeling. That's like a, a peace of mind. How about, how about endurance? You know, sometimes we as business business owners, we provide endurance to our customers to be able to handle what life throws at us. Mm. Sometimes we help our customers to have energy to be able to get through the day or to be able to get through this deal that's happening or to be able to get through whatever challenge they're facing, whether it's you know in construction or vehicles or infrastructure or financial or or whatever. So those type of intangible things are often of even more value to the customer, mm-hmm. we often assume they're even they're they're not valuable, or even worse, we don't even think about them as something that a piece of value that we can help our customers to to provide to receive. I mean, as you're speaking, I'm even thinking of something as simple like as a plumbing service, right? Assuming I'm a plumber and uh, I charge most plumbers, maybe they charge a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars just to visit just to look and see, okay, what's the problem before actually diagnosing the problem and then charging you the cost of the material plus the cost of the labor. Now imagine a plumber that is you, you trust and you know him and you know, he's able to show up at 10 PM at night, 11 PM at night when 
the water hose is, is bust. Things are every, everywhere is flooding. The confidence and the peace of mind that I know that if I call this guy at 10 p.m., I, I, I don't hope to. But if I do, there's a certain level of peace. And is it, it, I, I find that even more valuable that a guy can come in at 10 p.m. and fix my broken pipe. I will see that more. I will find that more valuable than a guy that comes during the regular day, only comes nine to five or ten to six or whatever that time is, because there's a stress, just like you said, and there are other intangibles for being able to meet my needs as a customer at a really crucial time, right? And, I, and I, going back again as a financial planner, when, when I'm talking to my customers, I'm saying, yes, I, I can probably save you more money in taxes. I could probably help you save more. I can probably help you uh, retire earlier. But beyond that, how about a better relationship with your spouse? What about you're going to be able to have a you're going to be able to have a functional, meaningful conversation with your spouse and have alignment about what about the life that you're living into. Exactly. That's that's different than hey, I got a financial plan from. Yeah. No. 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 You you you're you're perfectly right there. So similar to your plumber example, you know, my brother-in-law's a builder. He's a building contractor. He's got you know a bunch of guys working for him, and so uh, we're having this conversation about value pricing, and he's not my customer, so this isn't you know it's not confidential. And I said, you know, one of the one of the pieces of value that you can communicate that to your potential customers, the value that they're going to receive is that you personally, as the owner, will be on site 90 percent of the time. You're not just farming this out Mm. to, you know, guys who just graduated from their apprenticeship or, you know, he's not sitting back in his office, you know, doing his thing and letting who knows who be out there doing the works like, okay, you're hiring me. You're actually getting me. That's right. You're not just getting my crew who you've never met. So that's a piece of value, a piece of trust that I think a potential customer, some potential customers would really appreciate. Because in some industries, there's stereotypes. Uh, I'm not picking on the construction industry. In every industry, there's stereotypes of um, fill in the blank. And and we as, as business providers, as service providers, as product providers – can overcome some of those stereotypes by communicating the value that our customers are going to receive. No, that perfectly makes sense because, like you rightfully said, um, different industries have different stereotypes. I know the con- the construction industry, there's stereotypes there with contractors being unreliable and not doing the job well. And so if a business owner or a contractor can, can demonstrate that, I'm going to buck that trend. And here is how I'm going to buck that trend. And here are the things we're going to do. So in the financial industry, lots of times, you know, I don't, I don't sell life insurance and some people who sell life insurance take real offense to using the word sell. I go, I don't sell life insurance. I meet people's (laughs) needs. And I agree that that can be true, but I also know for a fact that some insurance providers do sell life insurance. They use the S word and it is four letters and it sells. Um, So anyway, uh, so here's a different way of communicating. I can say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to calculate, cal- I'll calculate your estate tax and I'll tell you how much um, insurance you need. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that might be helpful. Mm-hmm. Might not. I don't, I never thought of that. I needed life insurance for my estate. Actually, I'd never thought about my estate tax, um, that that's a customer saying that, mm-hmm. right? So instead you can say, I'll calculate how much tax you would owe if you had passed away last night and I'll help you to see if there's ways that you can reduce how much goes to the government and increase how much goes to your loved ones and charities that you feel close to. That's a different conversation. That's right. 
this doesn't sound like I'm selling life insurance anymore. This sounds like I'm actually providing value to you and you're going to be able to make a decision about how you can shift maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars from the government to people and charities that you really care about. I mean, I'm grateful that we have a tax system and we can, like I can get in my van and I can drive out and I have a road to drive on and I can go to the hospital and things get taken care of. But we have a lot of authority to adjust mm -hmm. how much tax we pay and how much, mm -hmm. whether it's donations or just planning in a smart way, mm -hmm. we have a lot of authority how to shift that. So if we can get to um, what difference does it make for the customer, then we're going to be, then we're going to be looking more at the value that the customer is receiving. So um, one more point on principle number two, and then I'll be ready to go to principle number yep. three. So the final point is comparability leads to commoditization. Mm. And so if I try to be doing the same thing that the next guy is doing, then we're basically just providing a commodity. Um, like if I prepare your tax return for $150 because H&R Blocks prepares a tax return for $155, we're basically chasing each other to the bottom. I was just going to say that. Neither of us is making any money. That's a race to the and, bottom. And nobody's... And, and nobody's getting good value. Like if I prepare your tax return for $150, I cannot afford to pay any attention to you. That's right. I can make sure that it's done. I can make sure it's done right and correctly without any mistakes. But have I done any planning to actually help you prepare to live into the future that you're desiring? Not a chance. That's right. So uh, anyway, any, anything else before we move on to number three? No, no, that's a, it's a really good point. Like I, we often like to compare each other, compare ourselves to ourselves, whether that's on a personal level, whether that's even on a business level. Um, we compare ourselves to other advisors. We compare ourselves to other business owners who are in the same, similar industry and sort of use that as a pricing guide. And even though that can help sometimes in the sense that there is a, there is a perceived, this is how much this costs on the market. But then even if we want to go beyond that, we have to look and say, what makes me different from the other guy that does exactly the same thing I do? What value can I provide and how can I build a process and a system that really addresses a customer's needs far beyond what another guy who does the exact same thing will do? Thanks for listening to part one. Tune in next week for part two. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at True Wealth Pod. You can get in touch with us by sending an email to podcast at truewealthpodcast.ca or by visiting truewealthpodcast.ca.